This is Keyshawn Rains, the host of Working Title with Keyshawn Rains, where amazing things happen. A series of past the collection plate style conversations with a Creole, queer, femme, yogi, mom, coach, author, and of course, podcast host with a nomadic soul, a quirky sense of humor, and an activator of empowerment. These conversations are just a chance for me to speak on ways to be mindful in a mindless world. Stories are shared, folks are empowered, inspired, and impacted to be more phenomenal versions of themselves through simple conversations about complex like love, life, and the pursuit of being real. Thanks for listening. Okay, here we are. Welcome. I'm so happy to be able to sit down and have this conversation with you today. When I started this podcast in 2018, I started off just interviewing people that I already know, (laughs) friends, family, anybody who was willing to let me record our conversation. That's where I started. And then eventually as time progressed, I started to step outside of my comfort zone. I reached out to people that I followed on social media and was surprised when some of them said yes, actually most of them said yes. And then I started to reach even further. And I know that you and I connected through a very unique community and I'm super grateful that you said yes to being a guest. So I'm gonna give you the mic and I'm gonna ask that you introduce yourself to the listeners by sharing your name, where you're from and what you stand for. Well, hello there, my name is Takara Ross. I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois, um, you know, transplant of a lot of different places in the Midwest, but Chicago will, will always be home and have a special place in my heart. Um, and what I stand for, um, a big part of what I do and how I choose to service is through love and through taking up space and using my agency to show up in the best way possible for those around me, my community and, and those I love. So anything you find me doing, if you ever see me out in the day, if you ever see me contributing in any capacity to my community, it's going to be through a large place of love and compassion, because I think that's the only way the world's going to move right now. Mm, I hear that. It's, it's interesting. I find that when we think about the state of the world that we're in right now, it feels like a lot of the challenges that we're, we're coping with as a human race are because of a lack of love, a lack of compassion, a lack of like the intentional expressions of love. And I think that sometimes people assume that love is, it's a vulnerable expression, but that there's, there's weakness in love or that it's, it's flawed in some kind of way. And instead of realizing that love is very much a necessary part of what it means to be human. And I think that when we remove expressions of love or we're not moving from a loving place, then we end up kind of where we are right now. <laughs> you know, we, Absolutely. End up, we're, we end up where we are right now. So tell me a little bit more about how love shows up as an expression or an action in your life. Wow. Um, I am a light, like, a, like many of us. Um, I'm relearning a lot of things, relearning a lot of things, remembering a lot of things. And part of that process is peeling back a lot of layers about how I was loved, how my parents were loved. And part of my existence, um, being a, a Black person, being a woman, being a queer person, is really being intentional about how I choose to relanguage certain things about love. I am learning things about love and how I serve and how I want to serve within my community um, through simply 
um, re-educating myself around what that looks like. Anything that I ever thought I knew about this process of life and love through my through my um, through my journey as a human, I'm I'm I often catch myself kind of starting over from scratch every day and just peeling back different layers about what I knew. What I knew yesterday on Thursday is definitely not what I may not necessarily know on Friday. So I'm, I'm having to be super open about this process of life. It's probably not something that um, on a personal level I've always done, but I think where I am now, the, the, the person that I am today, I'm so much more intentional about the type of layers that I pull back in and the questions that I ask about existing and how I choose to love. So I'm questioning everything, every moment of my life. And that, that is a, a whole different process and it's also extremely exhausting, but I, mm-hmm. I don't see any other way because every other way I've tried it hasn't worked. So we're doing something different right now. I think that's important. I mean, I think that if we get to a place in our lives where we're no longer curious where we're no longer analyzing, where we're no longer asking ourselves questions. I, I don't even know what that point looks like, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a grandmother who's 95 years old and is in early stages of dementia and she's still curious. She's still asking mm-hmm. questions. She's, she still wants to know more about herself, about her family, about, you know, the world. And so I think that being in a place where we're still open to being inquisitive, especially about how we function how mm-hmm. we how we move, what we've been taught, how we've been programmed, I think is an, an important part of really getting to that place of awakening. You know, I think mm-hmm. that what we've noticed, what I've noticed a lot just in the world, even in the last five years, you know, three to five years that there seems to be another shift that's happening. Some people call it a paradigm shift, an energetics shift, you know, a spiritual shift, but something is changing. And I think we've reached a point where we realize that as a culture, as human beings in general, that we've, we've compartmentalized so much that we're starting to compartmentalize ourselves instead of realizing that we're meant to operate as whole beings and not these like fragments of beings. Mm. And so, like you mentioned, even when we think about identity, we think about, you know, I am a queer person. I am a black person. I am a, I'm a parent as well. I am a woman, you know, I am Mm -hmm. a partner, I am a sister and, and I'm a community member and all these things that sometimes it feels like we can only live in one of them at a time instead of recognizing like the intersectionality of what it means to be a human being encompasses all of those. And to be able to move from a place of love while in all of those parts of ourselves is so important without it, it feels broken. It feels fragmented, you know? So can you tell me a little bit about how you arrived at the place where you are now as it relates to really understanding yourself as a person? For me, I kind of had to do that a bit earlier than most. Um, My journey is super unique. Um, I'm still learning how to relanguage my journey because I don't want to live in this place of trauma and having to retell these traumatic stories all the time. But I do have to honor and respect the journey that that has brought me to this point. And part of that, the the ugly truth of that is, um, I don't think I ever got to really be a kid. I was too busy um, taking care of my parents, too busy taking care of my siblings, too busy, you know, all of us were taking care of each other. And I think that was a big core of my life where I was immediately put in a place of survival. And I do not think that's fair to children. And so part of that journey was, okay, I need to survive first and I can be a child when there's space. So part of my upward climb to being this, this whole 
human that I am because I most certainly all the the things that are part of my life today I do feel like that I'm at a place of fullness it's taken a lot of climbing and like through the trenches to get to this place but a lot of that came from my survival you know techniques and having to really navigate through a space of um how do I get to a place where I have my basic necessities on a daily basis. How do I get to a place where I have food, water, shelter, and I'm able to do the things that civilization wants me to do, which is go to school, which is all the upper climb of being this adult. I had to do that really early. So as I get to the place where I am now and I'm able to love in a a whole space and to be able to continue to work on that process of being whole, because once you get there, don't just stop there's a process to that. Like, okay, I feel whole, but how do I maintain that wholeness and that and that personal best? Because that changes from moment to moment. How do I remain open to the changes that come with being whole and not stay stagnant? Um, a lot of that has to do with um, my upward climb. As a child, as a teenager, those really big moments of life where you have to re-eval- reevaluate yourself at every pivotal stage and say, hey, I can be better. Not better to the point where you overexhaust yourself to this to this perfection, but better um, in this ascension of um, how can I be more loving? How can I serve? How can I be this? Um, how can I um, really step into my birthright, which is to have all of those those whole natural experiences right. as a human? You can take away the blackness, take away the queerness. I wanted to get back to the essence of being human, and I didn't. I never knew what that was as a kid because I never had the opportunity to, to necessarily. Um, sit in that long enough but as an adult I'm able to like okay peel it all back I'm not a monolith I can I can really sit in the wholeness of who I am as a human and all those other pieces will start to unravel naturally Mm -hmm. I can so relate to that I can so relate to that I am I'm the oldest of five I have four Mm -hmm. siblings under me three sisters and a brother and I also was some would call it parentified or adultified at a very young age. I grew up in a home with two parents. One was an addict and the other Mm -hmm. was an enabler of the addict. And so Mm -hmm. there was a lot of attention that I didn't get that didn't allow me or really afford me the freedom to be introspective, to, to look at myself, to learn myself and was very much submerged into survival mode at a young age and remained in that, in that mode for a very long time, well into adulthood, you know? Mm -hmm. So I feel like there was a moment in my maybe early twenties, mid to early twenties that lasted almost until my mid to early thirties, where Mm -hmm. I realized that my, my child self and my adult self were kind of like battling for position to say, okay, no, we need to be an adult now. And the child part was like, but I never got to be a kid now. So there were certain Mm -hmm. decisions and actions and experiences that I was having as an adult person that felt like they were being dictated by a very childlike mind, you know? And so in a, in at the child, you know, mind wants to be playful, wants to be free, wants to be adventurous and explorative. And then the adult mind wants to be logical and grounded and say, no, we must do these things. Like you said, we must have a job. We must take care of our basic needs. We must, we must, we must. And the child mind was saying, but why, but why do we have to do that? We've had to do that for so long. When do we get to play? When do we get to do this? And so I told we can't do both. When, why can't we do both? Yes. Why does it have to be so polarized? You know, why do we have to choose to either be childlike and playful and curious Mm. and adventurous 
or be grounded and responsible as an adult. Like who Mm -hmm. decided that we can't have both, you know? Mm -hmm. So a lot of work that I've been doing with my therapist, shout out to my black lady therapist is doing a lot of inner child healing work is really Mm -hmm. having conversations with that child self that says things like, I know you had to grow up fast. However, I still want to know what you're interested in. What does that look Mm. like? How can that show Mm. up? So I'm curious about your experiences growing up the way that you did, going into survival mode at a very young age. How are you navigating that space now? And how do you connect with your inner child? Mm, Great question. Um, First of all, very similar stories. And I, I, it's almost like I, I know so many of us have these just these stories and on the brighter side I'm it's been so empowering empowering to see women specifically but also men because there's this um this beautiful journey of men specifically black men who are just living in their joy right now and it is so special to me um I I am so grateful that again shout out to our our black therapists because they have really been that extra that extra cheerleader and that person to really hold us accountable about hey you can do both Mm -hmm. and so part of that experience for me has just been it's interesting because not I was leaning into it prior to the pandemic but I really do thank the pandemic because there was this this um great pause that we all had to kind of experience that had um made us even dig deeper into our practices right. and just slow down and really honor where we are. We all have these, we have so many shifts in our life, but that was probably the more, more recent one for me to kind of lean more into my practices and say, hey, um, who do you want to continue to be? And part of that question for me was, um, I want to lean more into my joy, not specifically joy in general, but the joy that I, that I missed as a child. So I started doing a lot of a lot more things outside I, outside I started mm-hmm. um asking more questions but not from a place of adulthood right I really had to ask my my childhood oh what do you want to do today and I struggled because like most of us we were we had this pause but we we're also trying to survive during the right. pandemic so my my um big pull to live in this joy as a child came at a really awkward time because the adult Sakara was like, okay, we need to figure it out. Man, like, <laughs> uh, is we're going in, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? These lights on, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But the childhood me was like, okay, girl, we need to play because you're yes. not going to make it. You're not going to make it. So I really had to lean into a lot of joyful pieces of my day specifically mm-hmm. um, or else I would not have made it through the pandemic. I'll be completely honest. Yeah. On, a, on a full adult level, the mm-hmm. adult me could not have done this without saying, hey, little T, what do you need to do today? Yeah. And it was simple things. Like I, I bought a bubble machine. I was outside like a little kid frolicking at the park. I was like, had my favorite candies. Um, I just did really childish things and mm-hmm. it was so good. Yeah. And I thought it had to be this grand gesture of things mm-hmm. where it had to be this huge meditative process and I had to read books and I had to do all this. It was something as simple as giving myself permission to do the frilly, frolicky, childish thing right. that I never got to do. That you never got to do. Yeah. And I love when you said frolic. I thought of that, the TikTok trend of like Black men frolicking. Yes. I, when yes. I saw that, I was like, I absolutely love this because oh. like you said, how often do 
we even get to witness black men being so free, being so, so yeah. childlike, boy-like, just really tapping into that, like that joy. And I think you're right. I, I do believe that the pandemic and the lockdown, the quarantine that was required as a result of that, it gave us a huge opportunity. Some people saw it as an opportunity to really go inward to go introspective, to really do some self-work, some evaluation, to really mm -hmm. look at themselves in a way that they hadn't done before. And then some chose to uh, like make sourdough bread, which was also great. Uh, right. So, you know, or, <laughs> you know, or to uh, transition in and out of relationships that maybe needed to be mm -hmm. addressed or mend mm -hmm. relationships with family members, whatever they did. I think everybody utilized the time in a way that was really unique to them. I also think that something about not having to leave the house to go to work every day created space that we didn't necessarily have before. I think mm. like for a lot of folks who, especially if you live in the LA area, you know, very few of us live where we work within a close mm -hmm. distance. A lot of us have to spend time commuting and things like that. So we got mm -hmm. so much time back. And I think yeah. that with that extra mm -hmm. time, it did afford us the privilege of saying, what do I actually want to do today? You know, right. what actually feels good today, even if it's not my chores or my adult responsibilities. And mm -hmm. I like that you said that you gave yourself permission to ask the, the little T, what do you want to yeah. do today, girl? Do you want to go play with some bubbles? Let's go play with some bubbles. You know, mm -hmm. do you want to go ride bikes? Do you want to go outside? Do you want to grab a jump rope or a hula hoop or whatever speaks to you? Because there's something that happens. And I'm, as a parent, I remember watching my son go through the different stages of his childhood development. And I remember watching mm -hmm. certain ages where he didn't want to play with certain toys anymore. He mm -hmm. wasn't interested. He transitioned from Legos to video games and then video games became a computer and so on and so forth. And now that he's almost 21, I'm still seeing there's play in him still. And that makes me so excited. Wow. He still likes to be goofy and silly and, mm. you know, he still likes to have fun. And it's, it's so nice to see that because I know that that's something that we didn't all get, you know? So mm. I think it's so important that when we recognize that our inner child, our little T or little key, you know, needs some, mm -hmm. some love and attention, mm -hmm. that it's so important to create a space for that to happen because I think it really adds value to our life. You know, Absolutely. youth is, is vibrant, you know, youth yeah. is powerful and it's not necessarily about an aesthetic externally or even being, being willing to redefine what it means to be childish Mm -hmm. instead of it being something that's derogatory when applied to an it's adult. always been a negative connotation of being childish and like we never wanted to do it. and I don't think we talk about that enough I was just like I part of this experience has been introspectively like the conversation that I have with myself in regards to there's days when I chastise myself for not being productive and for being too childish and for like not staying on the grind and doing these things and I and I don't want to be in that space ever I know they're like oh it's normal it's natural but I'm like why have we made this so natural it's right. it's fresh it frustrates me but then to see this new generation of, of young people really lean into the opposite of that of like you know I'm gonna stay a teenager I'm gonna stay a young adult a little bit longer because they saw how we are and how we were in that upper climb because we were told 
to go to school, mm-hmm. get the degree, get the job, yeah. get married, have kids, blah, 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 blah. There's so many more options now. And I think the new, like, first of all, you having a 21 year old, whoa, <laughs> gorgeous. Come on. I was like, wait, you got a Thank you. How is that? How is that I drink a lot of water and I love naps. Okay. Wait a minute. What? But they're just you talking about how you saw the progression of your child grow and those 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 moments of them being able to sit in their childhood and their, those different spaces of how they grew. I don't necessarily think we got that experience. So to see young people sit there and own their agency and say, hell no, I'm not doing this. I'm gonna be a little, I'm gonna stay young and enjoy that has been really empowering. I think that's kind of helped me take more ownership mm-hmm. going into my like going into my late 30s into my 40s of like mm-hmm. actually I don't have to stay busy all the time and I, that whole aspect of like when we're growing up our parents were like that child is act like accurate accurate age, act age all these nuances that they wanted us to do and it's just like mm-hmm. but I never like I never had time to do that also why can't I do that now there's like I can do both the duality of it right right so and also now. like what age what does a 10 year old do like what am I supposed to be doing yeah. that I'm not doing <laughs> like what because well, we I already have like a lot of responsibilities at 10 so what else oh, do you want me to do <laughs> like, like what other things do you need me to add to my to-do list and I literally am like a girl scout still so yeah, like, really <laughs> I don't yeah. have children now but I'm so conscious of the fact that if I'm able to bring um new life into this world I want to be so much more conscious of that that these different progressions of their age I want them to sit in those as long as they can yeah because I didn't get to do that so maybe that's that I know for sure that's probably why but yeah I just want to be so intentional about that process for them I felt like part of my life is rushed and while I'm not angry about it anymore Mm -hmm. I do get to be different and be better if it's not for my child my future child because I'm an athlete and I work with a lot of young people, I also want to make sure that I, I breathe life into that into that type of world for them as well. Yeah. Especially as athletes, everybody wants like, I want to go pro right away. I want to do this, this, and this. I'm like, no, enjoy your college experience. Enjoy your adulthood, like your young adulthood. Like, make big mistakes because mm-hmm. you'd rather make them now than you than in your late 30s, 40s. You gonna make them anyway. But yeah. like, do these things. Don't don't march into these phases of your of your life trying to be so perfect and trying to do things the right way they're not supposed to be done the right way there's templates there's guides for you to Mm -hmm. do things in a certain order but it's okay if you kind of derail I think we get so stuck in these processes like I do xyz but sometimes you do y before then sometimes you like there's it's okay to do them in order right right and talk about that that we we all like when they say like everyone walks to the beat of their own drum like that's real. We all have a mm-hmm. rhythm. Mm-hmm. We all have a very unique frequency of vibration. We all have a very unique design. And this idea that we, you know, have been taught that there's only like one way to get to the North Pole. Mm-hmm. It's like there's actually like 72 different ways we can get there. And that we part. all might end up at the same place, but we all might end up someplace different. And that's okay too, because this idea mm-hmm. that there was only one track for us to follow. You know, I graduated yeah. from high school in 1995. So Mm -hmm. I graduated at a time when there was a huge encouragement for young black kids to to go to college, you know, the years of a different world and, you know, all the HBCU. And it was like, yes, go pursue, become, do a thing, become a professional, Mm -hmm. fill in the blank, whatever it is, a doctor, a lawyer, a politician, an accountant and and everything Mm -hmm. like that. But then once I was completed with college, I was still young. 
I was 22 yeah. years old and was still but like, you needed to do adult. I'm things. not ready to do those yeah. grown up things. And when I tried to do those grown up things, it didn't go over very well. Yeah. You know yeah. Cause I mean? you still needed more life experience, but you were being trusted in this world of doing adult things. But there was this gap of life that no one really was teaching us and telling us to do. It just, we, we took a big jump. And I don't think we talk about, there's another phase that we need to talk about when we're, when we're, when they're, when the world is raising us up. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's even exactly. more crazy now because we have social media and like, Oh my I think gosh. I didn't, cell, I didn't get a cell phone until I was like a senior in high school. So it was like to have one, my niece is, um, she had her first cell phone when she was like eight and I was like, yeah. hey, what? and she's 13 now. So it's just kind of like, there's so many parts of our culture and society that is telling us to do things at a certain pace. Mm-hmm. So that, that probes another challenge it does. for us, even does. as the young people, of course, do, but even as, you know, adults like mm-hmm. that, who are well-established in our adult years are of still trying to figure it out. And within that, trying to pivot within the new ways the culture tells us we need to, to exist. (laughs) Exactly. And I think that's where, like, when we get to, when we get to those other, those later stages, so to speak, or middle stages of adulthood, when we hear things like, oh, 40 is the new 30 or 50 is the new 40. It's like, we're, we're trying to give ourselves more time, you know, to kind of tap into those youthful elements. But I think a big part of it too, is I have friends who are in their mid forties, like I am. And we're still like, girl, what? Okay. But like, well, really, what am I really doing with my life? Like we still have those moments where we go back inward and we ask ourselves, you know, am I really operating out of a place of joy? Am I Mm. operating out of a place of obligation? Am I- Which is a new mentality because we never assess those things. Our parents never assess those things. It was like, you got a job, you're taking care of kids. You need to stay on that path until you retire, you put in the grave. Yeah. We have so many more opportunities to pivot now. Okay. I'm in my forties, but I'm in a job that I hate. Boom. Pivot. Pivot. I'm in my fifties, but I'm in a job that I hate. Pivot. Six-year-old. I'm in a job that I hate. Pivot. Yep. I never even knew those were options. No. I only knew pivot like in PE class, like on basketball. Yeah. That that was the only kind of pivoting. That's it. Didn't know. You got that one job. You stay in it for 20 years. You stay in it forever. You stay in it until they retire you and then you die. Like that is your life. That's all you have. And I think what's interesting about what you mentioned, social media, I think what's interesting about social media and technology in general, especially the internet is the idea of being able to see how other people are living Mm like just living in other parts of the world that the way that we do things here isn't the only way things are done. Because we only saw our community and what they were doing. Okay, we saw, you know, so-and-so down the street, they've been doing the same job for a while, that's what I'm supposed to do. But now we see people in Russia and, you know, Europe and East Coast, West Coast, they're like, oh, they're my age and they're doing something completely different. This is kind of cool. Maybe I should try it. Maybe I should try it. Maybe I should explore. Like I was watching something the other day on social and it was a woman who, you know, there's like a lot of like, I would say like millennials, like young black folks, even folks that are a little bit older that are like, you know what, bump that I'm moving to New Zealand or I'm going to move to Costa Rica or I'm going to go somewhere. And Mm. even things like that, like the idea, like I never knew anybody in my teens or twenties who was like, yeah, when I graduate from high school or when I finish college, I'm going to go live in Australia. Yeah. People would have thought you were nuts. You know what I mean? That was me. I had that person telling me that I was not, no, God bless my sister and I love her so much. <laughs> but I remember because as an athlete, um, this is, this will be my 15th year playing. And so I've been playing and living in Europe all of my 20s. 
mm-hmm. and all of my 30s. Mm-hmm. And I remember my sister saying, you need, a couple people in my family, you need to get a real job. And all I wanted to do was just travel. I was so happy to just live out of a suitcase. Not that I'm out of that place now. I'm anymore, right? <laughs> but like, it was so cool to pack up my bag and go to Paris. It was so cool to pack up my bag and go live in South America. And to hear that community that I grew up in, those people who had that 20 year job that mm-hmm. say, you need to go get a real drop. It was so devastating. I'm so glad that I, I, I didn't listen. Right. But it was just like, I heard it so much that I was not on that traditional path of doing things right. and had I not been the spirit of the human that I am to say you know screw you I'm about to pack right. back and live which I know a lot of people don't I know a lot of people who live in a small town and they never get out they never get and out and they have this urge for that joy yes. and yep. wanting to do those things I can't even imagine not creating my own road right. to be able to just go explore right and a lot of that was out of out of necessity growing necessity. up the way you did and I was trying yep. to we're not going to be in the hood no more we can't do this get, but mm-hmm. you just you had to find a way but I know that's not the story for everybody oh no absolutely not like I think it's I think it's so interesting when I meet someone I mean rarely do I meet people that are from a small town but I interviewed somebody for the podcast who's from a small town um like in the in the far northeast of of, mm-hmm. of the U.S. And I think they said there's like under 200,000 people that are in their town. It's kind of like a port town where you pretty much like are born there and you live there and you work there and that's just where you are. And Mm -hmm. she was telling me that she was inspired by somebody that she follows on social media that, um, that travels with children. Cause she thought like, oh, I'm a mom. I have small children. I I can't do that. I can't go there. But like sometimes witnessing someone else doing something that you just thought or dreamed about doing can serve as so much inspiration. And it can also just ignite something that says, okay, if they can do it, maybe it's possible for me, you know, yeah, maybe especially this idea of family, yeah. not being able to do things with your family. That, that's right. what I've been seeing lately um, through friends, family, and social media. Mm-hmm. This whole, we've always been told you get a family. Okay. You locked it. That's you it. You got to stay. But there are these beautiful families who are just like putting the babies on the back and going to live overseas. It's been so inspiring to see yeah. them just not give up on their dreams as, as adults, um, but also want to pour into their kids in that same way. I personally didn't think it was possible. Now I'm just like, oh, I'm definitely traveling. These kids are coming with me. Oh, for sure. It's very possible. Well, and when you think about when we think about what it means to be an adult, you know, mm-hmm. when we think about what it means to be a human, but when we think about what it means to be an adult human, there's so many restrictions and expectations and boundaries mm-hmm. that we've placed on ourselves that while they came from, you know, a cultural, traditional methods and practices that made sense at the time, it would be kind of dumb of us not to sit back and reevaluate those things because yeah, mm-hmm. there was a time when a woman couldn't open a bank account, let alone buy a mm-hmm. home. You know what I mean? There was a time when black folks couldn't own property, let alone mm-hmm. own a town. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There was a time when we couldn't move about the world freely the way that we can now. So now that our perspective has been broadened so much, the picture of possibility is so much greater than it ever was, yeah. probably ever, to be honest, because there's so much mm-hmm. access now to information that we didn't have before that it is opening people's eyes. And I think that's a, yeah. another reason why we're seeing this shift, you know, mm-hmm. this awakening where people are saying, wait a minute. So you mean to tell me that I could work from anywhere? I don't need from to go anywhere. To this digital day? nomad world <laughs> is 
amazing. Yeah. People are so inspired to just live these prolific lives without being attached to, for example, their death. Mm-hmm. But just, it's been so, um, I don't know the word, but it, it, it's been really awesome to see yeah. the, the ownership of, of our lives. And to know that we we get to do these amazing things because there's a lot of that I, I always I always rest a lot of what I do um just the way we grew up on on the on the backs of like my mother because I, she's no longer here so mm. I'm doing everything my mother didn't get to do yeah I feel like that is the, how I plan to to live and serve um she gets to do everything she gets me. to do all the I'm, things I'm shooting all the shots I'm yeah. traveling everywhere I'm doing all the things um. Because I know there are people before us who did not get to do those things. A lot of people laid lives, lives on the line to make sure that we had a lot of these these opportunities and these these, these are essentially our birthright. This this freedom right. and then to, to be able to, to to really own our agency and who we are. We would be remiss if we did not step into that. So part of my work and part of how I want to serve is to do everything they said I couldn't do. I love that, sure. and that's part of my father often tells me that you know, that we will be the ancestors who changed the lineage for those who yes. come behind us, whether yes. we birth children, I believe that we have nieces, nephews, or even people in our community, like they will look back for generations and it say, this generation. I remember that ancestor who said, mm-hmm. let's try it a different way. Yeah, let's, and change when, it up. let's change it up. Let's do something different. So on that note, we're going to switch gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. And this is the part of the podcast where I like to go back to some of the questions that I sent over Every guest gets a questionnaire and I throw a bunch of different things on there just because, you know, I'm curious that way. And so I know that you are a pro athlete and I want to know what sport. Basketball. Yes. I have played basketball, um, man, probably since I was like 12 or 13 and I'm really grateful to still be doing it. This is my last year. I'm tired. I was going to say, are you getting close to retirement (laughs) or what is that looking like for you? Year 15, if I'm blessed to continue to play throughout this year. Okay. um will be the last okay okay so pro athlete in basketball so you played overseas you played here like what tell me a little bit I about your overseas. experience okay. okay yeah my entire career up until this last year has been overseas I got a really unique opportunity to play in a league this year that is um very new of its kind um it's called athletes unlimited and I play alongside WNBA players so it's a mesh of overseas athletes WNBA players just prior to the WNBA season to kind of get us all ready um, for the next part of our, our, our seasons and careers. Um, so the first time in my career that I played in the States, I, um, we played on ESPN, we played on CBS Sports. So for the first time in my career, my family got to watch me play on TV locally and um, to physically be in the building. Cause it's a lot to have family be able to come overseas and stuff like of that, course. but to be able to be in the United States to play with a lot of my friends, um, to play against WNBA players, it was fantastic. So. I have checked all the boxes of my career. I'm oh, I love that. Grateful. I love that. So tell me a little bit about how the gifts that you offer, the things that you bring and the communities that you serve specifically through writing and publishing. Tell me a little bit about what that experience has been like and, and what you feel you're actually getting out of bringing those kinds of experiences for others. Mm-hmm. So I knew at a very young age that um, I wanted to play a sport and I wanted to um use my my body and my agency to 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 move energy mm-hmm. for myself and uh, a part of that was a coping mechanism okay. part of that was um I had a lot of trauma within my body and the only way that felt really natural to get that out was through sport 
I played every sport. Basketball is what I latched onto and what I love. But a large part of that was because simply fact, like I needed to survive and I needed to be out of the home that I was in. I knew at a very early age that as long as I stayed out of the house, I would be safe and I would have fun. So first and foremost, I want to honor that process because like, that's what kept me safe, which changed my life. Yeah. And I know that's a story that you might hear from a lot of athletes, but it physically and literally saved my life because there are times when I could not be in my home. Mm-hmm. Um, so through that, I, I latched onto the sports and I fell in love with them. And as I became, I would probably say high school and college, mm-hmm. you get to meet so many women, not necessarily within your sport, but mm-hmm. other sports as well. And I started to really pay attention to the different um, stories that were being told and the different lives that were being, you know, the synergy that we got Mm -hmm. together and I was just so like I was one of those people who asked a lot of questions I was like where are you from how did you grow up here and I just latched on to those stories and it it also was a a way for me to survive because I knew that I wasn't alone not that everyone had a traumatizing story not that Mm -hmm. everyone had anything similar to mine but I was just really excited that um I was intrigued by the fact that a sport could pull all these stories together and we could find a common bond. So as I pushed that on into my pro level, you started meeting more people and not just from this whole world because as Americans, we live live in this bubble. I was exposed to these different beautiful communities that were outside of my bubble and overseas. And I I really just love the fact that these stories, one were being shared to me because I just think I ha- I don't know what it is about me, but people want to tell me all they tea, all they story. So I never had to fight for them, but people would just tell me these beautiful parts of their life. Um, I, I learned later that that was a superpower for me. So mm-hmm. I, I wanted to continue to curate the space of storytelling and to create a safe space within me and my presence um, and allow people to be able to tell me these, these beautiful stories. And I would be a keeper of those. So um, it makes me teary-eyed because it's, it's just, it's just what I really, really like to do. Yeah. And I think it takes a while for us to figure out what feels good and what our passions are. Mm-hmm. So um, I will never be ungrateful for, um, sorry. Okay. Um, I'll never be ungrateful for the journey I took as an athlete because I just mm-hmm. met so many amazing people and that's where they changed my life. Yeah. I talk about it. It's really fresh because I know, um, I'm retiring so it's like even more fresh and there's a grieving yeah. process to that and I want to make sure that I'm a keeper of those stories in a different way mm-hmm. when I leave um when I'm no longer playing at a high level so mm-hmm. part of the work that I do as a storyteller I want to be a keeper of athlete stories because there's okay. just this unique um there's this unique fight yeah. that athletes have um and I know there's been, there's tons of stories of like, well, you only play a sport, you only do this. But like for a lot of us, it's saving our lives. There's so mm-hmm. many stories that are tangled up into why we chose to play our sport and how we want to leave the next generation. Because this sport is super special. And then mm-hmm. within that, I want to also make sure that I'm a keeper and storyteller and a weaver of those stories um, in communities that have affected my life, which is, you know, a survivor of sexual assault, which is, you know, a survivor of domestic abuse. Um, and these, these untapped communities who have these really beautiful stories mm-hmm. that um, should be told and they should be told in a safe space. And not that these stories have been, um, actually, I can say this, a lot of these stories aren't told authentically. And okay. there, there's this mirror of like, 
especially with TV that like lights, camera, action, and like it has to be this brand phenomenon. Right. I, I, I get it. I get the production of it. Yeah. But these are really sacred stories. And I want more specifically black and brown people to tell these stories mm-hmm. on their own. Mm-hmm. And I want to teach them how to monetize on these stories. Okay. Because that is part of a systemic process that we are not attached to. So teaching them how to monetize and, and own their stories is a big part of the work that I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning every day how to do that in a more efficient way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that's really, really I'm passionate about because we deserve to tell our stories and we deserve to tell them in ways that may not look like HBO, may not look like right. stars. Right. They are real gritty, nitty, but they're real and they're ours. And you can, you, you see these we live in Hollywood so we know that they you know we know what they do with our stories and right. any way that we can own them and monetize off them specifically publishing mm-hmm. I want our people to do that and I want them to have ownership of that so it, yeah. it, in a small microcosm of the world like I just want us to be able to, to have a piece of that so yeah. that is the kind of work that I do I like that and you know what I'm what I'm grateful for is because of technology because of platforms like you know patreon mighty networks like because these platforms are available for creators to be able to at best own their stories Mm -hmm. have Mm -hmm. um, fiscal benefit from their stories to be able to have creative control over their stories I think is something that that didn't exist once upon a time you know it's like you know everybody didn't have a a video camera in their pockets the way they do now everyone didn't have access to editing software so to speak the way that we do now where we can literally pick up an iPhone and record an entire documentary edit it and publish it all in one place Mm -hmm. and I think that what I'm grateful for is that those things are available now so that mm-hmm. we don't have to pass our stories along to someone else so that they can dissect and regurgitate them in a way that feels best for them or yeah. compromises, like you said, the authenticity of our stories. So right. I'm and at very best, it's, yeah. it's, um, it's written. It's written. At very best, it's written and it's exactly. documented. What right. I've learned where I have a whole nother story of like how I met my father's ancestry and the documentation and the road that it took to make sure there were accurate documentation of this mm-hmm. thing. At best, I want us as humans to do a better job of documenting yeah. the stories and our yeah. process because I can tell you if someone who's personally done it and the record keeping of it all, mm-hmm. a lot of it's been falsified and a lot of it's, a lot of it's not true. Yep. So we get to do a better job of documenting our legacy for the right. next generation. That's so important that we do it the right way. Agreed. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I yeah. am super grateful that my, I have both sets of my grandparents well into adulthood and I have one living grandparent who is 95. And mm-hmm. when my other grandparents were living, they were very intentional about storytelling, about our family mm-hmm. history, about their ancestry, about everything they remembered. And my grandfather on my, my father's side, he wrote everything. He would write yeah. down all the lists, even just names of relatives mm. that he could That's remember. That's what we're missing, the names. We're missing you know, real names of things. Real name. I mean, girl, because you know, Black people be making Not Auntie Patty, Auntie yeah. so-and-so. Yeah, so-and-so. I had somebody, it was like an uncle brother. And I was like, okay, but like, what was his actual name though? Like, name? Where like, was he from? What day? Where was he from? Yes, we need those details. So that, like you said, so our stories can live on so that we're not only relying on like public record and sometimes those things are not available as well, especially the further back that we go. So no, I really, I really like that. And I like that you've taken 
ownership of that responsibility that you've, that's kind of been put on you or that you've been called mm -hmm. to do to be able to maintain the integrity and the authenticity of the story, specifically, like you said, for athletes. I know that, you know, I was what I call like a play athlete. You know, I played a bunch of sports, but never committed to one. I was a cheerleader, soccer player, softball, everything in between. Never played basketball because I'm only 5'2", but still I ran track and I did a bunch of other stuff. But I know for me, writing has and always will be one of my favorite tools of expression, of record keeping, of legacy recording. And so I really, really appreciate when someone else recognizes, like you said, the importance of being the keeper of these stories. Mm -hmm. I too am a person where people naturally open up. They naturally share, you know, I'm a cancer for whatever reason, people want to tell me their whole life story, even yes. if I'm standing in line at the grocery store, I'm like, oh, I know a lot <laughs> about you. Um, but it's cool. Cause I know that that's because I do my best to create a safe space and I do operate with integrity and free from judgment. And I also believe part of the reason why this podcast even exists is because I believe that through storytelling that people are inspired, they're empowered, they're liberated, they're encouraged. And I think that there's so much vulnerability when it comes to sharing our stories that if we share them in a way that we don't have ownership over, that can be traumatizing in some cases, you know? And so that's where I, I really get excited and I'm super grateful when people feel comfortable being able to share their stories with me. And then if I'm given agency to be able to express those stories to other people. Time for a break, time for a breather. One thing that we often forget to do as we move throughout our lives, throughout our day is to breathe. So I invite you right now to allow three deep intentional breaths to enter and exit your body. And by the time you're done, we will be ready to continue. Thank you so much for listening. That's a beautiful thing. So I, I like the work that you're doing. So another question I have for you, you did mention that you have played basketball everywhere. And so yeah. if you think of any place that you could reside in the world, I ask this question of every one of my guests, you know, if you could reside anywhere in the world, where would you live and why? And your response to the question was, you know, I haven't seen all the places that I've dreamt of, even though I've traveled to over a hundred countries. <laughs> So maybe of the hundred countries you travel to, which was your favorite? It's, oh, it's so hard. <laughs> maybe give um, me your top three. <laughs> my top three. Um, definitely I loved Australia because Australia is a place for a lot of reasons, but Australia, um, they speak English. I can assimilate there pretty easy. Right. Um, they're just a very warm culture. Um, economically, I feel like there's a bit more stability over there. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a beautiful indigenous culture there that is is amazing. And they don't do it right 100% of the time. But one thing in comparison to the USA they, that they are doing is um, they're paying um, beautiful respect to their indigenous community right now and mm -hmm. righting a lot of wrongs. Like mm -hmm. for instance, it's um, going into buildings and a lot of the times before they do special events, they give homage to the land that they're on mm -hmm. immediately. Like they, that's part of 
formality now mm-hmm. that almost everything that they do is to give homage to the people in the land that they're on immediately. Mm-hmm. It's, like a, it's like a 10 second little blurb, but they pay respects to their indigenous community because they've done a lot of very evil things to the indigenous community there. And we get it, it's part of history, but I like the, the, the path that they are moving forward on mm-hmm. in regards to paying respect to their indigenous community. Um, I got to spend a year in Israel, so that would probably be my number mm-hmm. two in there. Um, Israel is doing, um, is, is, is moving away in culture that, and, and moving into the, the next phase of the world in, in ways that not everyone may agree on. Right. But what we can agree on is that there is um, a beautiful history in that part of the world in the Middle East that um, regardless of the, the culture and the ethnicity that you are living amongst the people in Israel, um, they pay respects to their land. Okay. Um, and there, you know, for those who are, you know, um, are knowledgeable about religious pacts and what that is, they're, 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 being in the Middle East, it, it, especially for Christians, mm-hmm. and, and it, it, there's a special feeling there. Yeah. While, while I don't identify as a Christian, I can respect the history of Christianity. History, right. And to be able to live in a place like Israel and be able to drive to, to the birthplace of Jesus and Nazareth and that, that right. land, being in a centralized, centralized location in Israel and, and hearing about the, the Jewish community and, yeah. and their respect for Christianity as well. And just, it yeah. was just so beautiful to see the mirror of cultures there and that mm-hmm. respect. I don't think, I think if anybody could go travel anywhere in the world, they should travel to Israel. And they should experience how the cultures mesh because it is a Jewish state, but there are lots of that a beautiful Arab community that also lives amongst those people, and it's it's just beautiful. Um, I don't know. I love South America as a as a whole. Okay. There is um, the the Latin culture there, um, the the Spanish culture there, um, the Black and Brown communities there are just very beautiful, and there is an indigenous space there that is still thriving and still they are still paying homage to the to the world that is is not new, but the young people there that are breathing life into their ancestors. It's, it's, it's beautiful so mm. definitely those those three spaces around the world are um okay. are, are, are amazing and anybody because at will say south america is super affordable okay super, super affordable to travel everyone should spend some time anywhere in south america anywhere in south america yeah good to know anywhere okay yeah. noted so for y'all who haven't traveled anywhere go to south america yeah there are fights <laughs> literally under three four hundred dollars oh, to literally go to the tip of South America and just yeah. spend a week there and you will come back a changed person. I, I love you. that. I love that. I think I agree. I think travel can definitely be transformational. Um, no matter where you go, but obviously if you have the opportunity to be able to travel internationally, to really go outside the comfort zone of the U S and really immerse mm-hmm. yourself in the culture of other parts of the world to just see, because we're new witness. America. We're new. very new. We're, so we're new. literally like the babies of the planet, yeah. you know, speak so yeah we're literally just figuring things out still yeah no really here. and it shows sometimes <laughs> so yeah it, it shows really we does. don't know what the hell we're doing so <laughs> so another question I ask every guest is is it what I call like a magical question and I realized um I shared this with my son the other day I was like I asked this on my podcast every day and he's like well you're gonna have to come up with a bigger number eventually mom so the question I ask is if you woke up tomorrow morning with an extra 100 million dollars in your bank account what is the first thing that you would do? Wow. Um, 
I'm thinking like logistically. No. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I'm gonna move it to another account. All right, let me switch over to bank error in my no favor. <laughs> I'm gonna just move it to another account. We'll figure it out later. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give thanks because I feel like anything that happens to me at this, at this point in my world is through the ancestors, and I'm gonna be like, okay, thanks. What y'all want me to do with it? Um, I'm gonna serve immediately. There's so many things and how I want to serve in the world, and I literally have a list, so I don't have to make I don't have to make it. I am going right into advocacy because I I get it. Money, first and foremost, I think love shakes the world. Love moves the world. But I am not remiss to know that when you got a few coins, that's shaking the world too. So mm-hmm. I'm going to pour it back into communities that have breathed um, life into me, and that's black and brown communities, that's queer communities, that's that's women. So um, I'm gonna find a way to pour into us to um, give us that extra leg in the world because we deserve it and we need it. Um, so yes, yeah, service. I'm first and foremost to that because I'm gonna be okay. I've always been super abundant. I'm not really worried about none of the optics of like where you gonna live, how you gonna eat. Right. I've already been through it, so I already yeah. know. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go serve because I know that's the only way. Giving love and compassion back in the world through service. That's always gonna make sure that I'm okay. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Yes, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, you know, Oprah status. (laughs) Maybe not Oprah, I don't know her. I don't know her real life, but yes, I love it. Going into service. So this is the- I don't know what happened. I don't think I can hear you anymore. Oh, let's see. Let's see. Can you hear me now? I had a Mm. slight Wi-Fi glitch. Let's see. Let me make sure. Technical issues. Let's see. Let me double check and see if we're good. Pause for just a second. Sometimes, sometimes you have technical issues. That I feel like is technology's way of remaining significant. It's like, hey, girl, you almost done. Hold on. <laughs> so this is this is the part of the podcast where um, we start to wrap out our conversation. And I like to do a little something special. So in addition to hosting this podcast, I am also a meditation guide. And something I like to do with folks is just a little microdose of a visualization exercise with meditation. So I'm going to ask you to find a comfortable position for your body. If you'd like to close your eyes, you're welcome to do so. And maybe just take a couple of deep breaths. Let yourself get grounded and centered. And I'd like you to visualize yourself in a time machine. It can look however you'd like. And in this time machine, we're going to take a trip back in time. And we're gonna go all the way back. And when you step out of the time machine, the first person you see is your 16 year old self. What do you say? Everything's gonna be just fine. Yeah, yeah. everything's gonna be just fine. Gonna be just fine. I love that. I love that. So we're gonna take a deep breath and we're gonna get back into our time machine. And we're gonna go all the way forward. We don't know how far forward, but we're gonna go all the way to the end. And I want you to share, what do you want to be remembered for? My heart, my work of service. Um, yeah, those two things. No one will ever, do, ever duplicate um, my heart. 
I think that is my superpower. Um, I know for a fact it came from my mother. Um, yeah, if anyone ever says anything about me, they're gonna say, oh, she was kind. She was sweet. And she made me feel like I was on top of the world. Yeah. I love that. I hear that. I hear that loud and clear. So the very last thing I like to do with every guest is I've been working with this deck. It's an Oracle deck. I've had it since, since the beginning days of this podcast. And so it is exactly a deck of 52 cards and there's little cute messages on each one. So I would just like you to select a number between one and 52. Mm, 41. 41. I love when people pick anything other than the number seven. <laughs> No, just kidding. No shade. No, a lot of people pick like seven or like yeah, those are like the known like those are like the known numbers. magical like, numbers. I mean, I, I pick a number that was close to me and close to like my journey. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I'm saying. I I appreciate that. Yeah. So, the message on number forty one is hairball. Hmm. This is an interesting one. Basketball hairball. I think this is really clever. So let's see. So the deeper message here is. Hairball. It says, uh-oh, small little tangle, no big deal. Mm. Last thing you want to do is get your knickers in a knot. It will all smooth out mm -hmm. as soon as you stop, take a big deep breath and realize it's time to hand it off to the universe. I received that. Move aside and let go. I received that. It's so it's, I totally received that because the time machine, you're like, it's going to be okay. And if this question had diverted to your older self, I would have said things are still going to be okay. And so I'm in a really unique pro um, point in my life where I'm transitioning and I'm pivoting and I'm transitioning out of a big part of my life that I've always known. So I receive all of that universe. You can have it. Just, I'm roll with you. Yes. I'm so glad. I'm so grateful. Yeah. Well, this has been so dope. I'm so glad that we got a chance to sit Thank down and talk you. to each other. Also, we're both like relatively local. So we yes. definitely like sit down in real life and have tea or coffee yes, or something yes. um, that we need to make that happen. I know your retirement is coming up soon. So congratulations on that. I just want to say thank you for being so vulnerable. Thank you for being so honest. This has been like a super dope conversation. I thank feel you for creating the space. Please continue to create this space. Like this I will. I definitely will. This is definitely a passion project for me. Um, it's, it's starting to get more of my time now because more time has been afforded, which I'm super grateful for. So if there's anything that you'd like to share, ways that people can keep in touch with you or any cool projects you have going on, I'm going to give you some space to do that. And then I'll let you go. Thank you. Well, my name is Takara Ross, and I am, I'm super grateful to be here and to be able to share space with you. So thank you again. You can find me at Takara Renee, R-E-N-E-E -E is Renee on all of my social media platforms. That is also my website name, Takara Renee. I am a storyteller. I am a weaver. And part of the work I get to do in the future is to share stories and to share them with the world and allow you the space to do that. So if you're interested in sharing your story and telling your story, I would love to create space for you. So Thank you. Thank you, Takara. All right. That wraps up our conversation. So um, we'll be in touch very soon. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. It's time to wrap this up. And I just want to say very sincerely, thank you. You have your choice of thousands of different podcasts that you could be listening to each day. And I appreciate you for choosing this to be one of them. Right now in this moment, I see the light. 
I see the love, the wisdom, the beauty, the prosperity, the creativity, and the pure joy that shines within each of you. And I bow humbly before your divinity. Namaste.